The world's largest trade book publisher came by its name as a joke. Co-founders Bennett Cerf and Donald Klopfer, already owners of the Modern Library, called their new venture Random House in 1927 because they expected to publish whatever books they liked. And what they liked, readers liked too, year after year. For the first half of 2022, Penguin Random House reported $1.9 billion in revenue. Welcome to Copyright Clearance and his podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. Over the last century, all of publishing, not just Random House, has developed in ways that Surf and Klopfer never imagined. Books are a global business today that throw off profits and spinoffs in a diverse media environment. Leading into the Frankfurt Book Fair in October, Rudiger Wieschenbart has surveyed this dynamic world, one increasingly dominated by digital, for his annual report, Global 50, The Ranking of the Publishing Industry. He joins me now from Vienna with a preview. Welcome back to the program, Rudiger. Hello, Chris. I'm very happy to be here. We mentioned Penguin Random House, and it is much in the news these days over its part as defendants in an antitrust trial seeking to block its acquisition of Big Five rival Simon & Schuster. And on the witness stand, CEO Marcus Dole pointedly recalled the company's origin story, asserting that everything is random in publishing, success is random, bestsellers are random, so that's why we are the Random House. But how do you see publishing today, Rudiger? Are we truly living in a random world, or does publishing follow some kind of a master plan? Well, um, if you are sitting at the roulette table, and for several rounds in one row, you have a steady curve of growth of your income from the roulette table, and then you say, well, that's just random, everybody around you at the roulette table will have a little bit of a strange look at you because that's not very plausible. And therefore, that joke that uh, was made by Marcus Dole was a good joke, but perhaps a little bit um, circumventing what really happened. We saw over the past several years, and the pandemic was only an accelerator for that, that the very big trade publishing houses, consumer book publishing houses, have done their homework very, very properly. That is the case for Random House, Penguin Random House, uh, which is emphasized in other circumstances very, very proudly by Marcus Dole, by the way. That has been the case for the Ashet Group, for HarperCollins, you name it. And they all have increased their turnover and mostly also their profitability. And uh, the, the very difficult moment of the pandemic when bookshops had to close down, had to shut down, when people were stuck at home in many major markets for lockdowns, that did not really impact the revenue or the profitability of these publishing companies. So guess what? Nothing was random here at all. It was really based on very hard work. And uh, what we see is, however, in my understanding, an increasing gap between the leading, the global leaders of the industry in trade and those mid-sized houses, 
which especially outside of the US, in Europe, for instance, stand for much of the diversity in titles, in tonalities, in narratives, etc. Because they have not the money, the deep pockets that are required to do that homework and to invest in fulfillment, warehouses, logistics. A lot of that went into IT. IT not just being about ebooks, being about the entire value chain, distribution, management, um, managing author contracts. All that was subject to heavy investment. And the small and medium-sized companies have to compete without having the deep pockets for such investment. And I think that's in the, in the realm of consumer book publishing, the big, big story of these days. And that fits perfectly well into why there is such an amount of consolidation pending or when uh, was, was going through already over the past few years, We have HarperCollins, who just picked up recently the um, consumer book publishing division of um, uh, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Uh, we have now the big case at the battle in court between uh, the Department of Justice and uh, Penguin Random House about the acquisition of uh, Simon and Schuster, which you have mentioned. The same, no, a, a similar but different case is pending in France but of the same scale or uh, almost as the big, uh, the, 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 the country's largest uh, publishing company, Ashet, which has substantial holdings in uh, the United States, Ashet Book Group. They uh, have an owner who is uh, or, uh, suddenly threatened by a takeover bid from another media group who uh, coincidentally own the second largest Uh, publishing group and the consolidation in France is much higher between just two big operations and so suddenly Vivendi is trying to get hold of Hachette in the process they are promising to get rid of um, Editis perhaps because that would be unacceptable keep both assets so we have really what you might call in a little bit of a critical way billionaire bingo going on behind the scenes where the public even the informed public is just standing outside and marveling what happened to our good old-fashioned random driven book business <laughs> well it, it was a great answer and a real nice comprehensive take on the health of the publishing industry you point out in global 50 that on the consolidation point that 2021 looks a bit of a lull because it's not about what's happened, but what about will happen or what hasn't happened just yet. So we may look back on 2022 and see this is the real turning point when it comes to consolidation. If the Justice Department loses its case, if Vivendi is allowed to acquire Hachette, then consolidation has reached uh, its, its apotheosis. Um, yes, and even if these things do not happen, it's very unlikely that uh, the French case doesn't go through. Uh, in the US, uh, I wouldn't make a bet. Who am I to make a bet on the US uh, justice? But even if it's not going through, it would be a very, very, very important signal. And so that's why I, I said 2021-22 uh, might 
be taken as tipping points uh, because suddenly the industry in the coming years will be significantly different from the industry of the past 10, 15 years. And and the difference in the industry won't just be in consolidation, but in the strategies that each of the publishers choose to make as far as their own transformation. And the critical transformation you've pointed out many times with Gravision Bard is the move from selling just products, books, to offering services. You've already referred to the educational publishers. You mentioned uh, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which uh, sold off the trade part of its house to allow it to concentrate on becoming a so-called learning company. Rudiger Vishenbart, where do other publishers go to remake their business? Well, uh, if you men- as you mentioned, uh, educational, that's another big uh, a bunch of big stories uh, happening because um on an international perspective uh, we what we see is that on the one hand the classical textbook producers they have been declined in their size over the past few years quite consistently uh, because Obviously, the pricing of textbooks didn't really fit. Um, all the repercussions of the of the um, um, pandemic of uh, homeschooling, etc., uh, had an impact on this, and people were not prepared to to go for these high um, uh, spendings any longer. At the same time, we have seen a big shift in uh, the less visible parts of the educational business where, uh, on the one hand, publishers have acquired schools or have, in other parts of the world, been acquired by schools. Examples abound in Korea or in Brazil. Or you also see mid-sized educational companies, like in Europe, who are suddenly growing by acquiring educational assets from mixed groups and turning that into technology companies. And that's the case also for Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, where suddenly education is turned around and that goes directly into not selling textbooks anymore, but providing learning services, providing and then also selling subscription or access in one form or another, uh, providing a full 360-degree service to the learners. And I expect that that very fundamental shift is also about to expand into consumer book publishing in a way. Well, Rudiger Vishenbart, it's the extremely diverse media landscape that we live in today that's really giving a boost to these efforts of transformation. We are seeing reading increasingly, not just of books, but of all types of formats. And that gives people in publishing great opportunity, doesn't it? For instance, take this podcast. Uh, We record it on video at the same time. Uh, We have all the leisure to pick uh, lots of different options, and then also disseminate this. Well, you can do this with any piece of content. And uh, we see audiobooks really expanding, but when audiobooks expand, that is not simply necessarily uh, one printed or uh, a book be read by an actor and then sold for a download to one co- customer, 
it can be broken apart into chapters. It can uh, suddenly run on Spotify, where the, the core business is subscription to music. It can do many things. And uh, we also see lots of uh, forthcoming innovation in producing audio, automated, uh, artificial intelligence-driven recordings of mounting quality. So suddenly, when we speak about audiobooks, it's not even reading anymore. The brain does totally different things when listening as compared to reading. And so suddenly we are really in a topsy-turvy different environment. And that's where access services make it convenient, focus on discoverability, uh, really showcase what you have as a content organizer, and then making the life of your audiences simple and convenient, that's services. That's what I see happening all over the place. Well, you speak, Rudiger Bishenbart, of the Global 50, but it is important to emphasize that there are regional differences still, particularly when it comes to subscription models. They're wildly popular in Scandinavia, but it's really unlikely they will ever really come to any prominence in the United States. I'm a little bit more cautious in predictions about what will happen in which markets or not. What we see is at least that starting in Scandinavia, but not remaining limited to Scandinavia, suddenly people don't bother buying audiobooks anymore, full stop. I had a discussion with a friend who is based in Stockholm uh, in the last few days, uh, where suddenly he said, well, wait a moment, I guess realistically... 97% of the audiobook consumption in Sweden is based on subscription. Yeah? And that is a statement. And we have been told also in Scandinavia, by the way, for a decade, that um, subscription wouldn't fit uh, the book business. Well, if you go back into history, you know the modern book trade has started with subscriptions in the mid-19th century by magazines, which were the internet of the times, the most, uh, the, the most mass consumption-driven uh, form of, cons uh, of, 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 of getting access to, to stuff, yeah? what people wanted to have. And we see that a few of these uh, Scandinavian companies are expanding all around the world. That's the one thing. The second thing is we see platforms which we would not see as publishing ventures like Wattpad or even uh, even more uh, graphic novel manga-driven platforms like Webtoon who have acquired Wattpad recently that they all operate on a, a subscription basis. And guess what? I guess there are a few people in, uh, in the US uh, consuming manga as well as far as I've been told. Uh, that's hugely expanding, and that's not sold by the piece, but it's serviced for access. So I think there is a lot of music playing in different tunes. And at the Frankfurt Book Fair coming October 19th, Rudiger Bishenbart, you're going to host the Global 50 Talk. Uh, tell us briefly who'll be there and what you'll be discussing. Well, uh, the... The baseline is we are going very local. We don't pay attention to 
I'm joking now, of course. Uh, uh, we don't pay attention to the US or to Germany or to France. We invited just two Canadians, by the way, who before have been even working in the same company. Our guests will be Ashley Gardner, who is now as a senior vice president in charge of many of these um, uh, authors in these new forms of publication. And she is doing that for what they, how they call it, Wattpad Webtoon Studio. So this combination. And her former boss, Michael Tamblin, who is still the head of Rakuten Kobo, who have a self-publishing platform, who are reading service, who are doing reading services, who produce and distribute ebooks on a global scale, but who also have huge partnerships with classical vendors in Germany, in France, they will discuss with us all these transformation, which of course play a preeminent role in what's going on in new ways in the US, in all of Europe and beyond. Rudiger Wiesenbart, thank you for this preview of Global 50, the ranking of the publishing industry. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for joining me on Velocity of Content from CCC.